Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. Joining us now in studio for a bit of a Mariners roundtable, it's Brandon Gustafson, friend of the show. And Bump, he came in with his notebook. I see it. He's ready. Guy. He's <laughs> ready. I mean, you guys, you guys gave me some flack last time for, for leaving it out. Uh, so don't, it's it not in. you guys. Yeah. It is one of us. It's, it's Sir Michael One of Bumpus, us happens yeah. to be it's, very particular it's about... Love, that's, that's how I show love, <laughs> you know? It's just really, really, uh, really picking on you. Um, all right. Well, uh, Brandon, we just had a bummer segment talking about uh, the Pac-12 media rights negotiations. Oh, CBS and Turner <laughs> pulling out of that one. So we're hoping for some good news. Let's talk about what's really exciting heading into spring training. Uh, a lot of players uh, reporting today, though technically pitchers and catchers report tomorrow. Where are we health-wise? All the starters looking good? Yeah, starting rotation looks fine. As far as some of the guys on the Mariners that you want to kind of keep an eye on, Andres Munoz had foot surgery. Paul Sewald, it was uh, elbow cleanup, and I, I get, it looks like both of his heels, I think, is what Corey Brock from The Ooh, Athletic reported today. Yeah, a little... Little iffy there. Dylan Moore and Sam Haggerty both had some kind of cleanup stuff this offseason. Uh, obviously, Tom Murphy's coming off of a shoulder injury that basically cost him all of last season. But but all in all, I mean, if, you, if you're looking at just kind of the pitching side of things, pretty good. The the best bats in the lineup, pretty good. So all in all, you're, you you got to be feeling pretty good about what they look like going into going into spring training year. Murphy's an interesting situation. Oh, for sure, right there, right? Yeah. Uh, what's what's his role going to be this year? What, what what should we expect out of him? I mean, high end backup catcher that can hit. Those are pretty rare. You usually you have a guy that when they're a backup, usually they're there for their defense. I mean, we saw a lot of years here, like Jesus Sucre, yeah. right? Like somebody that he's going to go hit like one thirty, one forty, but he's good behind the plate. He can throw dudes out. Murphy's somebody who's established with his pitching staff. They have a lot of respect for him. He was kind of their lead guy last year at the mm-hmm. beginning of the year before he got hurt and Cal Raleigh kind of took that over. So high-end number two catcher. Uh, he's somebody who really, really hits left-handed pitching well, so maybe it's a situation where you have A.J. Pollock in left field against lefties and Tom Murphy's getting that DH day. So you got some options with him and just having that extra bat, somebody that can go out there and do a little bit of damage certainly helps for this team. We know it's a situation that's worked for other teams. I mean, Toronto, right? Right? Had had a they great had like pitching three guys. Exactly. And I mean, <laughs> that was catchers. something that was a weapon for them all year. You yeah. look at it as like a, a place where you have almost like a misplaced uh, embarrassment of riches. And instead, that was something that was really to their benefit. Yeah. And, and for the Mariners, I mean, you have these two guys. Uh, Luis Torrens isn't a part of the club anymore. He signed a minor league deal with the Chicago Cubs. But they traded for somebody who's really interesting, Cooper Hummel. He's a catcher outfielder, you know, not super great behind the plate and hasn't really stuck at the big league level yet, but really high on base guy in the minor leagues he's, he's always hit in the minor leagues so he's somebody that you may might, might want to keep an eye on as mm-hmm. like that 25th 26th guy on the roster it looks like it's a little bit of an uphill battle for him to make it just based on who's ahead of him like a Dylan Moore like a Sam Haggerty like a Tommy LaStella but but if the injuries kind of shake out a certain way in spring training because we never know how that's going to go he's somebody that could definitely make this roster coming out of camp Julio was in the uh 25-25 club last year and uh these bases are going to be bigger BG and it makes me wonder. They shut they shut Julio down last year. Like, look, man, we don't want you to get hurt. You know yeah. what I'm saying? You, you sit there and, and wait for the ball it. to be in play. It's not worth it. How aggressive do you think the Mariners will be with their base running this year, and specifically with Julio and guys like Haggerty? Yeah, Julio will be the interesting one because part of the reason that they're expanding the bases isn't just to you know speed the game up, have guys that are taking off more often, but 
it's they they think it's actually safer for these guys to the sliding into the bases. They think that it'll be a little bit safer overall for these base runners. So Julio's one to keep an eye on because yeah, he's somebody that could go out there and with these new bases mess around and have a thirty, thirty, even forty, forty season. But again, his 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 value is what he can do in the batter's box. So I could still see him having you know twenty twenty five stolen bases. But guys like Haggerty, Dylan Moore, even Colton Wong, he stole seventeen bases last year. He could be a guy that goes out there and steals twenty five thirty for you. So they've got a few guys. Even Tay Oscar's not a huge stolen base threat, at least in his career, but he's a pretty dynamic power speed guy. Maybe you see him on the run a little bit more, too. So just having the game kind of have that that element to it again that we've seen really decline over the last 10, 15, 20 years, I think that's going to be really exciting. Uh, the larger bases now measuring 18 square inches, like Bump mentioned, are one of four things fans need to be aware of this year as far as new MLB rules. You've also got the pitch clock uh, limits on uh, how many uh, times you can try to get someone out and then uh, or not get someone out sorry limit on mm-hmm. pickoff uh, and then also you've got the shift uh, so pick your poison let's dive into all three <laughs> of these things two are a little bit connected yeah right because the pickoff attempts is a way to potentially reset the clock, but they also don't want you to take advantage of it. Yeah. Uh, by, and so they're going to limit. Yeah. That. And, it, and and the the pickoffs also, you could kind of bring it up with the bigger bases because if you if you're a guy on first base and you're looking to steal and you have that pitcher who throws over twice, that's it. If the pitcher goes and throws over again. They have to get you out, otherwise it's balk and you're on second base no matter what. So it could be a situation where you're like, okay, I got these two. I'm going to take a little bit of a bigger lead and then I'm gone. So we'll we'll see more stolen bases because of that too. But yeah, the pitch clock's really interesting. I I have something coming up on the site probably later today looking at the Mariners most impacted by these rule changes. And you have guys like Andres Munoz and Paul Sewald. They are slow workers with nobody on base. They actually would have been over this new pitch mm-hmm. clock, which is 15 seconds with nobody on. Uh, with a runner on base, it's 20 seconds. So PitchCom, the, the the new thing that they implemented last year, uh, Cal Raleigh, we were talking to him at the Mariners' luncheon uh, the other week, and he was saying that, hey, with, with nobody on base, just to speed it up, we're probably going to go fingers. It's probably faster. But with guys on base, you need to use that pitch come. You can't be back there running four or five finger sequences for these guys uh, with, with this limitation because it's from the moment that the pitcher gets the ball back from the catcher or the umpire, that's the start of the clock. Jeez. The clock it, it ends essentially when the pitcher starts their motion. That's it. So you only have 15, 20 seconds. And on the other side, batters have to be back in the box with I believe it's seven or eight seconds left in both sequences so you're not going to have the guys that can go out take their helmet off wipe the sweat off do both their batting gloves spit into it grab some dirt like you're not gonna be able to do that you're not gonna have these guys that are taking 10 15 20 seconds to kind of reset get their breath after a bad call maybe and go in there so the the game is really going to speed up and yeah we're going to see a lot of that impact the pitching side but I really do think just kind of looking at some of the numbers available on StatCast with like the how how quick some these guys were how slow they were uh, on the hitting side of getting back into the box I think you're going to see hitters really have a have some struggles with it and that's kind of what spring training is going to see we're going to see them kind of iron out those kinks a little bit are we going to see a clock like in the NFL in the back of the end zone? You know, you got the the, the, <laughs> the play crowd. clock. Five. Is there going to be a clock somewhere where everyone can see yeah, how so, much time is up? So at, at T-Mobile Park, at least, they, they've had a clock over the last few years because they've kind of been preparing for this. The writing's been on the wall, and there are certain things like a, like if a catcher or a pitching coach goes out to talk to a, to a pitcher, they only have a certain amount of time that they can do that. So if you're at T-Mobile Park and you're looking out, it's, it's kind of left field above the bullpen. You'll see clock out there mm-hmm. and that'll be kind of what the umpires are able to look at it sounds like the umpires are also going to have a device on them the home plate ump at least to kind of help enforce that clock maybe it's like 
okay, gets down to zero, it buzzes, like, okay, timeout, like, you know, we're putting a we're putting a ball in the count or something like that. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't know if they're going to have something where the pitcher is going to be able to see it, like behind home plate. That, that'll that definitely be an interesting part of it. But just based on looking at the park over the, these last few years, it, it has been out in the outfield. So it is something that, like, if you're on the stands, yeah, you can be five, four, yeah. three, right? Like the shot <laughs> clock in, in the NBA or something like that. So it's going to be it's going to be weird. I mean, the game of baseball, for the most part, is going to be, you know, it's the game of baseball. But they're just these little these little tweaks are definitely going to change how we look at certain players and, and what certain players are actually able to do on the field compared to previous seasons. I can't wait for the moment where uh, a fourth uh, ball is going to like walk in a runner or something like that. <laughs> and you're going to have like us, you know, he gets called for uh, violating the, the clock, but then you're going to see like, did he start his motion? Let's slow motion. Like his foot's off the ground. You can see all air. Like well, there's like, just going to, there's going to yeah, be that moment. I, I can't wait also for like, if it's two strikes and a batter takes too long to get back in the box, that's strike three. Like, mm. how are we oh, going to impact that, that with statistics? Yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, can you imagine, like, like Aaron Goldsmith loves the immaculate inning more than anything in this world. He loves nine pitch, strike out the side, right? Like, can you imagine if this guy has eight strikes in a <laughs> row, gets two strikeouts, it's an 0-2 count, so he takes that just a second too long to get back in the box, like... That's an immaculate inning, yeah. technically. <laughs> I wonder oh how, how Goldie and some of these other guys are going to be handling uh, Which batters, really which Mariners batters might struggle with that kind of timing? So Cal Raleigh, Ty France, and Julio with nobody on were the three slowest guys on the team. And they yeah. were all either like a little above the clock or like right up against it. With runners on base, JP was the slowest. Uh, Dylan Moore... Colton Wong and I think it was Gino Suarez were the other guys that were a little slower. So, yeah, I mean, guys have their routines. I mean, uh, I talk about with Bob Selton all the time. We talk about like what Diego Castillo does out on the mound. He likes to mess with his glove and he kind of fixes both of his sleeves. On the hitting side, I mean, guys, you see them. They go out there, they take off their batting gloves, they kind of try to reset a little bit. They're really not going to be able to do that. So how how these hitters who are so routine-oriented go about their business going forward is going to be really cool to see during spring training. Man, that OCD is going to kick in for them. <laughs> We talked about slow workers on the mound. You said Paul Seawald and Munoz will probably have to, sh- we will struggle with that a little bit. Yeah. We talked to Paul and he said, I got to fix some things. Oh, for sure. Who are going to be the pitchers who are struggle with the, uh, trying to pick uh, the runner off? Oh man. That's the thing. Like, like the game of baseball, the, the way that guys hold runners on, has been so different in part because you don't have a lot of guys that, that run in general. Mm-hmm. So, uh, really, I think a lot of it is going to be less about the, the the pickoff attempts and more about just how you're able to hold your guy on in the time that you're allotted and you have to be quick to the plate and then your catcher obviously has to get the ball, good pop time, good strong throw and with the bases even bigger, it's just, it's all so much harder. Like pop times have to be, you know, 0.1, mm-hmm. 0.2 seconds faster. Guys have to be that little bit faster to the plate. Uh, we, we see a lot of guys with the rudder on first base, pitchers, right-handers, they go up, you know, they, they breathe, they breathe, they breathe. Then they have the big leg kick and they go to the plate. Maybe we're seeing more slide steps. Maybe mm-hmm. that's kind of where the impact is more so than the, the pickoff attempts. And also, I think we might see more back picks from catchers trying to throw guys out at first base if they get a little too comfortable with those bigger leads, if maybe a guy has picked over once or twice. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be a lot of different wrinkles to it. That's going to be really interesting to see how it all plays out. This has to be 
one of the biggest changes in baseball history. Oh, for sure. Like, and all of this happening at once is yeah. a big part of it too. Like, if it was one thing where it's like last year, okay, now we're doing the shift stuff. Okay, mm-hmm. we can't have three guys on the base, and then this year we're rolling out the pitch clock, and then we're rolling out, you know, all the all these different things. Like, that'd be one thing. But you're having three pretty, you know, major rule changes, four really with the pickoff rules, all on top of it, and then it's like, oh, by the way. Unless you're way, way up or way, way down, you can't go out there and save your bullpen anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, there are now limitations for when you can have pitch, uh, position players actually go out and pitch nowadays, mm-hmm. whereas before, that wasn't really a thing. So, there, the, yeah. the game is going to be a lot different. And uh, I, I'm, I, for one, am looking forward to it. I think that you hear Jerry Depoto talk about it. The game has really become three true outcomes. Strikeout, walk, home run. It's been so much of that over the last decade. That, that should hopefully change, and that's kind of what they're hoping for. That maybe already answers my question, but I'm hoping you can dive even a little deeper into it. Do all these rules, in your opinion, objectively make baseball better? (laughs) Um, I think that the pickoff limitation isn't super necessary given what's already being done. I think that with the pitch clock and with the bigger bases, runners already have enough of an incentive to run and have enough of a timing mechanism to run that they don't need the pickoff limitations necessarily. So that's like the one part I'm kind of on the fence about, but defensive shifts yeah like we we need to stop these left-handed hitters from i mean for lack of a better term getting screwed out there when they're hitting the ball on the button and somebody's in shallow right field just robbing them of base hits over and over and over again uh we need to put the ball in play more we do need to speed the game up i mean that i think the goal is to get it around two and a half hours baseball typically takes three to three hours and ten minutes you know something like that so I, I think that overall the changes are pretty good. I think that the pickoff thing is the thing I'm kind of a little hesitant about. And obviously they can change these things if it's not working. They can change it in season if they really want it to. But uh, all in all, it's, it's good for the game. We need to get away from just strikeout, walk, home, run. And uh, I think that a lot of this will help in that regard. Well, we talked about the players and how they're affected, but uh, the guys calling the games, man, the umps. Oh. Like, how are they preparing for yeah, all of this? Like, it, it's funny because I, I was thinking about it like on my drive here because. I mean, especially after the Super Bowl, like like there's nothing that fans hate more across like any sport than like an official deciding the game or like yes. really skewing it one we way. We just saw this happen. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> but but with, with these rule changes, a lot of it is up to umpire discretion, especially with like the defensive shift stuff. Like for the most part, people seem to think, hey, it's going to be, you know, two guys on each side of the bag, your outfielders are where they are, and then you're kind of playing it the way that you played it when you were a kid or in high school or in college or something like that, but that there are talks about like maybe the left fielder actually goes out and is kind of hanging out behind there and you still have your four infielders in the base like a lot of it is umpire discretion of of what they think is circumventing the spirit of the rule Mm -hmm. so they actually are going to have a lot more on their plate than they already do on top of calling strikes and on top of everything else so umps are gonna yeah the umps are gonna be really put under the spotlight this year for better or worse and hopefully you know kind of like with the players adjusting to the clock and whatnot on spring training hopefully the umps kind of get in a good groove of it during spring training and we're able to get a month or you know a month or so of, of just of these games of this live action to where once we get to opening day it's a little more solidified and everybody's kind of in a good place for it anything on your notebook we didn't cover brandon <laughs> not really i mean I, I i do think that just the idea that that like a, a batter being out of the box for just a split second too long and all of a sudden it's like oh crap i went from 0-1 to 2 yeah that stuff i mean just just one you know one ball or one strike mm-hmm. in either way just drastically changes at bats and outcomes and the 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 statistics on the difference between like a 1-0 count and an 0-1 count or a 1-2 count and a 2-1 count like it's like 
it's like a 150 batting average difference between those numbers. So you're, you're going to be seeing yeah. a lot of that go. And uh, I think just something else is, you know, pitcher health. Maybe guys are, you know, taking a little bit of a breather mm-hmm. in between, maybe going a little too fast is something that we see have an inverse health, uh, health effect on some of these guys. That remains to be seen. But I'm really looking forward to paying close attention to these spring training games and seeing how these rules play out. Remind me what you said you had coming out on SeattleSports.com. Yeah, so so uh, with, with some help from your guys' interview with Jesse Thank Rogers you. yesterday, it was fantastic. Uh, just kind of looking at these rule changes in the in the Mariners who are going to be the most impacted by it. Some of the guys we talked about, Munoz and Seawald, you know, being guys that work a little bit slower. Julio and Calentai France being guys that take a little bit more time going into the batter's box and things like that. So just kind of looking at the Mariners who are going to be most impacted by all these rule changes uh, and just really diving more into what these rule changes actually do, uh, what the penalties for those are, and you know, and all that good stuff. All right, one of our in-house reporters, uh, great coverage for the Mariners. He's also an editor for SeattleSports.com. Uh, you guys go to SeattleSports.com to read the latest, not just from our show. You can check out our podcast, Bumps videos, links to that on there, as well as to the YouTube page. Also, if you're already listening via the Seattle Sports app, you don't have to go to a separate website. You just hit the news icon, and you are connected to SeattleSports.com, and you can read all these articles that Brandon is talking about. He is Brandon Gustafson of SeattleSports.com. Thanks, Brandon. Thanks, SBG. Right. Edumacation. <laughs> Let's get to headline rewrites. Headline rewrites. We must make headlines. The real story behind the headlines in today's news with Bob and Stacy. <laughs> Man, we're getting that new BG dropping later today. Hey. Wow, we got that new BG. Man. <laughs> Headline number one, the Kraken lost 2-1, or lost their 2-1 third period lead and lost in a shootout last night to the Jets. What's the real headline? Yeah, they're feeling the absence of their leading scorers, what's happening with the Kraken right now. Uh, that is Andre Burakovsky. He's on the injured reserve list week to week with a lower body injury. Not sure when he's coming back. Scoring depth has been a strength. You just haven't seen it of late. Yeah, we talked to our insider, Andy Ide, and he goes, we need somebody selfish in front of the net. We I need somebody that. hitting those clappers out there making that goaltender exactly. work, man. So that's what happens, though. You lose your leading score and everyone's like, okay, what do we do now? No, you yeah. take it. No, you take it. No, you take it. Everyone takes shots. Keep clapping that thing. Everyone needs to be Kobe. <laughs> Everyone needs a Mamba mentality out there is what they all need, right? Like, I, I like the way he explained it, though, Bump. I'm so glad you referenced back to that interview. He said, Andre Burakovsky, he is one of those selfish guys. Mm-hmm. He's a guy that'll take a shot. He's a guy that'll say, no, I'll handle this one. And what you're getting now are guys going like, uh, I'll just pass it to you. I'll take the assist. I'll take the assist <laughs> on this one, that point. No, nah. take the shot. Uh, he also said you're seeing a bit of a dry spell for a couple different guys, whether it's Yanni Gord, whether it's Matty Beniers, who, yes, the latter's been dealing with injuries, but did return to practice. He's back out there. So hopefully the dry spell ends and you start seeing some of that scoring depth show up. Headline rewrites. Headline number two, one half of the ESPN uh, Hydra, that is uh, the draft experts there, Todd McShay, <laughs> has the Seahawks taking Tyree Wilson, Texas Tech defensive end at number five in his latest mock draft. What's the real headline? We're starting to see the same name pop up over and over again for Seattle. Yeah. And you know what? I'm glad. It gives us some type of security. But you know how this thing goes. Mm-hmm. You're going to get to that combine. Somebody's going to run really fast. Somebody's going to throw really far, jump really far. They're going to be like, you know what? Let's mix this up a little bit. A guy like Will Levis might just climb or he might no. drop. You know what I'm saying? Those top those top 10 picks is where I feel like 
the most noticeable shuffle will happen if there is a shuffle. That's why I always wait for this combine because you're going to have guys with influence like McShay and Kuyper and all these other dudes who are going to be there who have influence, who will get people thinking and talking about it. But um, I've watched a film on Young Wilson. And uh, he's like good what to you go. see. Yeah, I like him because his name is really close to Taiyi, which is the name of my high school that I went to. Shout out SeaTac Washington. Uh, I also like him because, as far as I know, he doesn't put mayonnaise in his coffee, uh, mm. which Will Levis does. And you guys want to, you know, rag on my food opinions all the time and say that I have bad food takes. At the very least, I don't put mayonnaise in coffee. Very least, I mean, you that's know? like the bare minimum. Okay, but I cleared it. Congrats, <laughs> congrats to you, Stacey. Thank you. Headline rewrites. By the way, Stacey, you didn't get the memo on wearing the uh, white hat with navy blue brim. Yeah. I don't like it when you guys, but Mr. I am wearing yeah. blue and white. We're all wearing blue and white, but I don't like it when you guys remind me that I'm left out of your guys' little outfits that you match together. Yeah, I text Bob before the day. Like, what are you wearing? <laughs> so annoying. Okay, you got your flashlight on, yeah. too. You can dress in a dark as <laughs> yeah. well. Yeah, it's not my fault. That's exactly what you guys do. You wake up. And you try not to make noise. You get dressed in the dark and you end up wearing the exact same thing. Because both of you, I'll tell you what either of you are wearing on any given day. A baseball cap. A uh, hoodie of a, some a kind. A hoodie of some kind. Yeah, a yeah. vest. Yeah. And sneakers. Super basic. Yeah. <laughs> At least I mix it up. Okay. Do you? Yeah. Sweater? Oversized sweater. <laughs> oversized sweater. Oversized blazer. Yeah. <laughs> Headline number three, Tiger Woods admits he's rusty, but he's playing to win this weekend's Genesis Invitational. It's the first tournament he'll play in since last July's British Open. What's the real headline? Well, Tiger could be playing on a peg leg with both eyes closed, and we'd still stop to watch him. Still watching, my man, Tigre. Tigre, you go out there and do your thing, man. I don't care if you are five over through five looking like me out there on the golf course. Whenever Tiger shows up, the cameras are going to show up. The masses are going to show up. And you just want to witness the last stretch of his career. He also said, look, when he feels like he can no longer compete to win, then he's going to be done. So I think this tournament is going to be a nice little barometer of where he is physically and mentally. Just enjoy it while it lasts. Okay, I need to clarify something. People are accusing me of wearing men's extra, extra large blazers. Oversized blazers are a thing right now. They are in. My Gen Z kings and queens are celebrating them, okay? You know what's messed up? What? Oversized stuff is in. You know why? Because my wife wears all my sweaters now. Oversized stuff is in and it's cool, okay? Okay? Okay. I believe you. I'm just saying. I believe you. I just I get, a, I get a lot though, of comments about what I wear, and I'm like, okay. somebody no said we should about have, what all the men uh, here wear. Everyone, all the men here wear the same five things every day. I only get quarter comments. zips. Yeah, it's just us, Stacy. <laughs> Stays your hair is awful today. Just kidding. No one says that. Everyone. Uh, somebody said we should have show shirts. <laughs> I am down for that. I would love to have show shirts with just my face show, on them, and then like a little face something. of bump and a little face get of our uniforms. Yeah, we got to pick a game day. Like, all right, it's game day. <laughs> Boom, yeah. Don't forget I mean, till Tuesdays. Are on Tuesdays, back. yeah, oh. during baseball season, it's till Tuesday. God, when does that start? Oh, can we wait until the start of the season? We're not the doing this first, in spring training. If we're doing we? it in regular season, the first till Tuesday is going to be, I believe, April 4th. Yeah, I'm that looks that's so right. Upset. Mark your calendars, folks. Mark your calendars. The, I never the day you this. created. No, the, no, the you day created this. Did I create yes, it? Yes, you did. I thought I was democratically outvoted <laughs> I because this is was, a democracy. I thought it was you and me. Bump showed up one day. No, it was you guys wearing it was, teal. No, yeah. I'll tell you what it is. And Mike Levko was wearing teal. Yes, too, and we right. put it out to the people, and I said, "I'll go along with Teal Tuesday if everyone votes to go along with it." And everyone voted, and because this isn't a uh, because I'm not a tyrant. I said, okay, fine, I'll go along with Teal Tuesday, and I did it unhappily 
but I did it. I think it was happily by the end of the year. I think I think you came around to it. Don't forget to watch, catch, not watch. You could watch it. The debut episode <laughs> of the John Schneider Show tomorrow at 4 p.m. with Wyman and Bob. The Seahawks GM will be on every single Thursday between now and the first round of the NFL draft. That's the John Schneider Show tomorrow, 4 p.m. with Wyman and Bob. Coming up, Eric Bieniemy is a favorite for being for a play caller position with another team. We'll tell you who it is next. Bumpin' Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Rost. Taking a look around the NFL, we are going to start in Washington. The other Washington. I mean, some people say the other Washington to mean our state, but I'm doing it to mean D.C. So gotcha. take that, D.C. Gotcha. Eric Bieniemy, obviously offensive coordinator for the uh, Kansas City Chiefs, will interview for the commander's offensive coordinator job tomorrow. He's considered, quote, a top candidate, according to Ian Rappaport. If it ain't head coach, don't do it, Eric. Why would you leave? leave? You got Pat Mahomes. You're going to be in the Super Bowl again in the next couple of seasons, for sure. So this is now the narrative that I I shouldn't say now the narrative. It's been a narrative out for a while, but one of the conversations to come out about the enemy is, oh, well, with Kansas City, he's an Andy Reid's shadow. Well, wait a minute, but it seems that this only applies to Eric Bieniemy because there are plenty of other offensive coordinators that are coaching uh, under offensive-minded head coaches that seem to get jobs and find other opportunities elsewhere. Yeah, there is, but there's no other Andy Reid. Andy Reid is, what, first or second best active coach in the league right now. You throw Belichick up there. It's probably him and Belichick, honestly. So I understand when people say that, but I also think of just your mental health, Eric Bieniemy. Do you want to go to Washington, D.C. with the commanders, all that's going on over there? But I also understand a man's need to walk on his own, right, to make his own path. And as long as he's under, hey, I'm saying that's that's the competitor in him. If he goes to Washington, it's because he wants more control. He wants to get from behind Reed's shadow. But I would not suggest it. Uh, someone said, but is he getting any of the credit under Reed? I mean, no, I think a lot of people are looking at Reed, but I think that, again, I think that the problem for Eric Bieniemy is in part working under Andy Reid and in part that people just genuinely don't give him enough credit. And I think that you see other people get credit despite being under. So look at deep. We talked about defensive coordinators yesterday. So you've had Brandon Staley working with Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. You've had uh, two different guys, Robert Sala and obviously D'Amico Ryans, working with one of the best defenses in football with the 49ers. I know that defenses are different from offenses, but those guys got tons of credit. They weren't working under uh, defensive head coaches, but for working with great players, right? Like, yeah. I'm just saying, like, you, you've you seen other examples of it happening. Yeah, I just think Andy Reid is just in a class of his own. All right. Uh, next up here, we're heading down to Jacksonville. Wide receiver Calvin Ridley. I know a lot of you guys completely spaced and forgot that he'd been traded since he didn't play. Well, he has uh, applied for reinstatement into the league. He sent in that application today. This also from Ian Rappaport. Don't forget, he was suspended in 2022 for betting on NFL games during the 2021 season. Do not sleep on Jacksonville. You got Trevor Lawrence over there. You got Etsy in the running back. You got Christian Kirk had a thousand yards. Zay Jones, 823. Evan Ingram, the tight end, 766. Now you add Ridley, and don't forget Marvin Jones over there. I'm telling you, I'm looking at this young team. I'm looking at their division. Houston, we'll see what they do in the draft. Indianapolis coach with uh, who's over there? Who's head coach over there now? Um, anyway, no quarterback over there. Tennessee, AFC South might be wide open. Now, the NFC South is more wide open, but uh, Jacksonville Jaguars don't sleep on them. 
Yeah. Uh, in addition to Tyree Wilson at number five, Todd McShay mocks Brian Branch to Seattle. Brian Branch, pick number 20. He's and a safety. Safety, safety from Alabama. From safety, Alabama. A safety at number 20? So this is, if, if that goes down, that means they're releasing Jamal. And they're looking for a safety. They're trying I, to save some money. They release Jamal. You got Ryan Neal and Quandre. You're going safety. That's the only way that makes sense to me. I just need to see the Jamal Adams trade work out. Me too. I want it to work out. Man, he's a I, baller. I, I want it to work out because he is a baller and he is great. I just, I hate that in the end that trade will have cost you not just two first rounders, not just a ton of money, uh, but also missed opportunity. Like you ended up with, uh, we've talked about the 20, what draft did he affect? 2020? Jamal. 2021, yeah. It was 2021. 2021, where you ended up getting three picks because essentially it was Jamal Adams was your top pick from that yep. draft. Those three guys, Stove Forsyth, not a starter for you. Uh, Trey, not a starter for you. And D.S. Bridge, not a starter for you. So you ended up getting nothing from an entire draft class. I'm going to throw it out there. Jamal is going to get better. He's going to ball. Come on, Jamal. We need you, Jamal. We, yeah. Well, yeah. We need no to see it, Jamal. Here. Well, and it's just... It, 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 Again, like this team drafted incredibly well last year. However, I do not want to move away from the idea that they have missed on a lot of trades and drafts and that that has been part of their struggles. Not as of late. Two out of three, they're good. Not as of last three, they're good. But do you know what missing for like five or six does to you? It means you're like making up ground. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Saying. Yeah. I just remember getting a lot of flack for kind of like being critical of missed draft picks. And I, I'm just saying you see the effect of it long term. It's fantastic that they're making it up. It's why this draft is hugely important. But like you've also missed on some major ones. If and they I on, hope that Jamal is not one of them. If they hit on this draft, then I think we start drifting away from the effects of yes. the five before that. This one yes. is that important. Yes, I agree. Vic Fangio has officially been announced as the Dolphins defensive coordinator. Uh, he signed a contract with the Eagles to help prepare them for the Chiefs uh, in the Super Bowl. Obviously, uh, that didn't work out for the Eagles, but no matter, he still ends up getting the defensive coordinator job with the Dolphins. The Dolphins were on such a hot streak, and I don't know that their problem was that they couldn't be great enough defensively. They made some trades uh, at the halfway point of the season to improve their the problem was just that Tua missed so much time. Yep, Tua missed a bunch of time. I mean, but their defense wasn't great either. And uh, let's see what Vic Fangio does over there. One thing about Fangio, he's going to stay with a job. Uh, so we'll mm-hmm. see how they adjust over there. But I like the move because how do you assist your offense? You do it with yep. a defense, but you need Tua to be healthy. Uh, Jason Kelsey, who was one of your dream additions for the Seahawks, and you recognized, Bump, that this would be a really, really tough one. Well, it may be tough not only because he could stay with Philadelphia, but because he's undecided on his future as a whole. Jason Kelsey might even retire. He was asked how he's going to proceed in 2023 the other day. Uh, This is on the latest episode of the New Heights podcast, um, the one that uh, he does with uh, Travis. He said, man, I can't answer that right now. No chance. We'll answer it soon enough, I guess. I don't know the answer right now, though, so I can't answer it. I do know it was a lot of fun this year. I had an amazing uh, team and time doing this show with my brother. So we'll see. I'm going to let the batteries recharge. I'm exhausted, man. It's a long season, mentally, physically, emotionally drained. I'm going to let all that kind of uh, recover before we decide on that. That being his future. And he should. He deserves that. He's 35 years old, 12 years in the game, considered the best center in the game, possibly the best center of all time. He can take all the time that he needs. And when you take that time, Jason, 
I need the Seattle Seahawks to be reaching out to your text and you're doing what they got to do. Because if you get a guy like Jason Kelsey on that mm-hmm. offensive lineman, it changes the game. I know it's far-fetched, but he deserves to take as much time as he wants. James Bradbury says he won't play for cheap after a great season with the Eagles. And you know what? He shouldn't. I don't care if people are looking at that last play bump. You don't take off a million bucks from someone's contract because of a weak holding call in the Super Bowl. Nah, you don't do that. I mean, he's taught to do that. He's taught to grab at the hip, to pull the jersey a little bit. All he was doing was playing football in that moment. Bit him in the butt. That guy is still a good football player. Exactly. I just, again, he's he's uh, one of several, uh, I was got not just Eagles players, one of players from around the league looking for a new contract. Eagles are going to need to hang on to a few key guys, though. Uh, he's one of them, even though he doesn't get the name recognition this year that someone like Hassan Reddick did. Maybe Hassan Reddick doesn't even, who's not a free agent, but maybe he... Uh, doesn't even have the kind of season he had for Philadelphia, right? Like, we've talked about how hard it is for Super Bowl uh, appearances, uh, winner or loser, to try to repeat that success the following season. The Bengals were able to do it, and good on them. But for the Eagles, not only do you got to hang on to key guys, you are you going to get 70 sacks in a season again? No, I wouldn't count on it. And no. here's the thing with Hassan Reddick. They schemed up. They schemed him up. Yeah. Where's his coach now? Defensive coordinator. He gone. What are they going to bring in? How are you going to scheme these guys up? Are you just going to continue what they did last year? Are you going to change things? There's some questions to be answered over there. Well, speaking of the Eagles defensive coordinator, last story here. I'm heading to the Bengals. It doesn't sound like it just yet. Uh, The Eagles defensive coordinator, former defensive coordinator, Jonathan Gannon, is now the head coach with the Arizona Cardinals. Because he has been hired as head coach, all other candidates for that position, obviously returning to their previous jobs or interviewing for other coordinator jobs, A candidate for that position who is returning to his previous job and staying there is Bengals defensive coordinator Lou Anarumo. Bump, in your way too early prediction for the season, are you ready to doubt the Bengals again? No, I'm not doing that again. Not again. Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice. Fool me twice. You can't. Can't, you can't, can't get fooled you again. Can't, can't, can't get, get fooled, fooled again. again. You can't get fooled again. That's exactly right. Uh, all right. Plenty to come still in the show. Um, I wanted to get back to it at noon, but we might jump into it a little bit early here. Earlier in the show, in fact, to open the show, we talked a lot about what Andrew Brandt had to say about paying quarterbacks. Let's get back into that conversation. Did Patrick Mahomes disprove something or is he forever an exception to the rule? Don't go anywhere. Bumpin' Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. I'm getting back to a debate that was happening to open the show, Bump. It's what we get right and wrong about paying quarterbacks. Now, you and I were actually on the same page, but it got the Mac and Jack's text line pretty fired up, so let's get back to it. It stems from a conversation Brock and Salk had yesterday with Andrew Brandt. This is Andrew on the idea that you can't pay your quarterback and still build around them. You're hitting a sore spot for me, Mike. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what. I, I did Philly radio, same question about Hertz. I did Cincinnati radio, same question about Burrow. I did L.A. radio, same question about Herbert. Listen, let me try to be very clear on this. It's a cop-out. It's a tired excuse for teams, for fans, for media to say, You can't build a Super Bowl roster if you have a high-level quarterback. That, to me, is such BS. Such BS. Now, I think you and I both agree that if you've got a high-level quarterback, if you've got Joe Burrow, if you've got Allen, if you've got Mahomes, whatever, pay that man. Pay that man because it's going to be worth it. Um, The conversation naturally evolved here in Seattle. What do you do if you've got a mid-level quarterback. And I am going to push back on the idea that uh, that Gino uh, or that any other mid-level quarterback is getting high-level money. There are two different salaries we're talking about here, Bump. Yeah, there's um, 
There's three levels when it comes to a player's identity and their worth in the NFL. There's the rookie, rookie contracts. There's the uh, middle tier guy. And then there are quarterbacks who are the face of the NFL. Mm-hmm. Those guys get $45 million a year. Soon it's going to be $50, 55000000 million a year. That's just how this game goes. And uh, he breaks it down even more. And the way Brandt is his name, yep. breaks Andrew it down, Brandt. Andrew Brandt breaks it down, um, it made me not change the way I look at the salary cap and, and how money is distributed, but it painted an even clearer picture for me. And I hope it does for the listeners as well, because there are some differences when it comes to paying guys, but there's a bunch of similarities that go on in the league as well when they break it up into like three different kind of players you have on your roster. How did it change your mind hearing it? I have um, a couple cuts on here if you want me to play any one of yeah, them. Yeah, play the one where he's talking about 30, 30% or something like that. I don't know. He's talking about the rookies getting paid and uh, all is, that good Is stuff. it when he talks about um, specifically Geno or when he says it's not paying the quarterbacks is the problem, it's the other bad contracts? There you go. That one. Think about football these days. You got 50 to 70% of your roster is on rookie contracts, first four years, right? So give them a conservative million-dollar cap figure for each of those guys. So now you've got over half your roster counting about $30 million cap. So now you've got $190 million to deal with the rest of your roster. And again, I can't say this strongly enough, it's not paying your quarterback $40 million that gets you in cap trouble. That is not what gets any of these teams in cap trouble. What gets teams in cap trouble is bad deals that go south, paying the wrong guys, having so much dead money in your cap for deals that didn't work out. And, you know, this is not the issue. It's never the issue whether you can pay a quarterback and build a good roster around it. So hearing that kind of change your mind. Yeah. He says, look, you're going to pay a bunch of guys a million dollars. You can afford each team has the money to pay one guy on their team more than anybody mm-hmm. and on most teams if you're not, not a rookie that is going to be your quarterback he's the guy you have to invest the most and he touches the football the most his decision making affects the game more than anybody else so it's natural that you pay him the most what messes you up is dead money mm-hmm. and then contracts that go bad contracts from guys who are making 18 20 mil because you're gonna have uh about five to six guys on your roster. That, that are even get, getting double digits. Yeah, they're getting double digits when it comes to millions. So those are the contracts that can really derail you and that can jack you up. Like you've mentioned a lot of times, if you're not getting a return on your investment, that's what's going to hurt you the most. Paying a quarterback is a necessity. You have to do that. If you are paying a quarterback $10 million a year, and he's your starter, I'm looking at your organization. I'm saying, what's going on? You guys have like three, four injuries. Is this your backup quarterback? Like, what, what's the deal here? Because you have to pay your quarterback. That's just how business works in the NFL, and it makes complete sense to me. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, it doesn't make sense to a lot of people. Here's what Andrew Brandt had to say about Geno as I transitioned the conversation to Geno. Yeah, I mean, again, it comes down to cash versus cap. If you're worried about cap and you have a significant veteran roster – you can make some push out. In other words, you can take some short-term gain and have some long-term pain. Obviously, teams like the Rams, the Saints, they've done this repeatedly. And the Rams, for one, are paying the piper now. But if you have a young team, you probably want to structure it a little differently. And you can load some cap. In other words, you don't have to do these signing bonuses that push out the pain. 
if you want to pay Geno Smith $25 million, you can, in first year, you can get him, you know, a $20 million cap number. So you have flexibility later because you've got a young team and you can save the money for later. It's all depends on this, but you know, the Seahawks better than I do. I'm here from afar, but seems like you've got a really young team and you don't have many elite contracts. You don't. I mean, you do have a couple and we've gone over them a million times, right? Bump, this is kind of going off of your point. You've got Jamal and Quandre and then you've got both of your top wide receivers, DK and Tyler. Mm-hmm. Those four guys are uh, the most expensive players on your team. And then you'll have one or two other guys that pop up in there like Shelby Harris accounts for quite a bit this year. Right. Um, you'll have Gabe Jackson in there at like nine or something mm-hmm. like that. So you'll have a couple guys that will pop in there. But primarily it's those four players, two safeties, two wide receivers. Um if Gino uh, gets paid, he'll he'll also be one of those players. But it doesn't have to be, oh, he gets $30 million a year, so it's $30 million against the cap this year. That's first and foremost. Secondly, if you push some of it back and you end up paying him when he's not as great or maybe you move on with a younger quarterback, okay, but the salary cap goes up several million dollars every single year. It went up from last year to this year, what, 16 or so? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, if you push it back, okay, $30 million against the cap in 2025 is not $30 million against the cap in 2023. And finally... I want to get back to your point about, hey, you have to pay a quarterback. When you said, if you have a quarterback that's on your roster and he's getting paid $10 million, I'm wondering if he's trash or if you've got like a first-round rookie. And if not, then I'm wondering what you're doing. Let's move this conversation forward. That's where I want to focus because I got to tell you, we talked about pet peeves to end the show yesterday. Man, Mm -hmm. bump. I have one of my own when it comes to quarterbacks. Uh, We're moving the conversation forward, not just to talk about that, but whether or not the Seahawks can pay Geno and expect to succeed in 2023. That's next.